Let's tune in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 358 with Corey Schlesinger. And Corey created a little bit of controversy with his use of fixed resistance machines with his athletes in the NBA at the Phoenix Suns. So a super, super interesting insight into how he does use fixed resistance machines. Before we do that, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So Rock Daisy present the only free AMS on the market, AMS Lite. So if you want to present reliable data to your coaches and visualize it in a nice way, check out AMS Lite at rockdaisy.com. You've opened Pandora's box now with the machines. <laughs> Let's dive yeah. into that. It's not something that's come up on the podcast before, probably because everyone's using machines and too scared to communicate with the world that they are. Um, wow. For, for, no one's for, talked about machines? I don't think so. I don't think so. Oh my God, that's awesome. Well, in that case, <laughs> I'm pumped. Let me, I, I will tell you this. I, in most case scenarios, prefer them in a lot of ways, especially with high minute players. I am hugely for machines. I've actually created a few different types just for my specific population. But yeah, okay. I'm huge Tell us more. Machines. Tell us more. So what I've done is I've actually taken a Smith machine and got the bar kind of cut out of it because a typical Smith machine is the one that's obviously on the track and then it's a straight bar all the way through. So what I've done is I've uh, got a company to manufacture one where they actually take the bar out and I can take in different types of bars in it. So for example, like I can insert a safety squat bar attachment. I can take that out. I can insert like a neutral grip bench and take that out. And then obviously I can have a, a bar that goes straight through. And so what this allows me for is different options of loading, even though it's a Smith machine. And then I have these slant boards that I slide underneath it. And so I can make it basically a hack squat or I can make it uh, I mean, uh, all sorts of different uh, active foot. Uh, that's obviously huge, um, different variations. But I love machines because at the end of the day, I don't care what vessel load comes in. I just care that I get these guys load. And when they're taxed because of competition through, uh, through obviously play, um, neuromuscularly, uh, t- I mean, everything is shot. You know, so the last thing I'm going to do is have them control more things, like take more resources away from them. Why not just give them a machine, tell them where to go? At the end of the day, I'm just getting load. Rather, I'm doing it through heavy isometrics or heavy eccentrics. So instead of them learning how to train, like give them the skill of lifting, which now I'm worrying about basically neuromuscularly taxing them even more. Now I'm just getting them load. And then, hey, go play basketball. You'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you introduce machines, are the, are the guys are the guys reasonably surprised? I'm guessing that's well based Not on really. our based on our previous conversation that every, potentially people aren't using machines. Is yeah, it like think, a surprise to these guys? I think mainly when people get introduced to machines at this level, it's through uh, uh, isolated machine work. So it's like leg yeah. extension, yeah, leg yeah. curl. Yeah. Me, I'm like, nah, give me the big hack squat. Like, give me the Smith machines. Uh, let's train it globally, you know? So I'm, I'm more into that. Now, don't get me wrong. There's like a CD calf raise. Absolutely love it. Um, some of those machines, for sure. But most of the machine stuff that I like using, and then that's kind of on the same scale as like a landmine attachment. Like, I love a landmine because it kind of tells them where to go. It has a little bit more degrees of freedom. 
but I can use the angles of that to create stability. And I don't need them trying to like figure that out themselves when they're already neuromuscularly taxed from competition. What I need is just get them load. How can I get that to them? So for me, that's the, that's the hardware. So I guess the difference between college and MBA is college, I'm getting them hardware, but I'm getting it through them through skill of training. And pros, I'm getting them hardware, but I'm getting it through just machines. And then I take care of the software in two totally different ways. In college, the software is learning how to do basic stuff like sprinting, like loading, jumping. And in pros, that's where it gets fun for me. That's that's the part that I enjoy the most is now training their software because I'm not tapping their hardware as much as I would in the college setting. So a lot of my eggs in the basket for professional athletes, I'm training their software. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Let's touch on that and bring in the yeah. sports science side. Yeah. Robin might feature again in this as well. Where, <laughs> from, from your perspective, I know like we say sports science and strength and conditioning if it's two separate things, but mm-hmm. I think you know where I'm you know where I'm coming, you know where I'm coming for from. For sure. Where do you think that fits and what impact, like be honest now, what impact do you think it's had, especially over the last five, six, seven years in collegiate setting and and the pros? Right. Into to, what to, you guys do as a strength coach. Yeah, to link it to a little bit to the last question, the only thing I think the sports science aspect should do is show the efficiency or inefficiency of what we are doing. I mean, don't get me wrong, chasing outputs is cool. I love chasing outputs because it makes me feel like, oh, I got them the jump higher or the run faster, you know, for this whatever output. But the question is, what cost? did I have to take away from them or what resources did I have to rip away to get them that new output? And is that new output actually going to be beneficial for them in the long term? That's the part where it's like timing and all these other things that go into it. But as far as the sports science aspect, I think it's should be the most important, but at the same time, the least important depending on what you're looking at. And so for me, linking it to the last question, when I'm training their software, the only thing I'm training is is efficiency. I'm trying to get them new patterns or new degrees of variability within the innate skill or innate movement patterns that they already demonstrate. So, and I know this is going to be controversial, but like Bosch-like, like there's some Bosch-esque stuff. I know it's controversial, <laughs> but there's some stuff that I take away from that. Like I like the aqua bags. I like the aqua balls. I like some of these things that are going to challenge their software through Rather, it's low velocity to high velocity, but it's not the output of sprinting. It's not the output of some of these other things. And that I can microdose that multiple times a day, if not every single game day. And so that's where the sports science aspect can come in. And I can see without giving them extra load, how am I getting them more efficiency? Because what they're bringing in is probably already good enough. How can I make that better? And that's what's going to have them more available, more so than, all right, let's just load you up and hope that this tissue adaptation is going to keep you strong. I don't know. I think if I can get their coordination, their GPS system in their body a little bit more efficient and a little bit better, then it's going to be less resource that they use on the court. So that means probably more recovery. And so then opposed to giving them more load for a tissue adaptation. I think tissue adaptation at this level, it's more, especially, and once again, I'm just talking about high minute players. Like these are the players that are playing 
36 plus minutes a night, like very high volume, high intensity. That's, that's where I think I get the more bang for buck for those athletes. So when it comes to efficiency and talking about sports science, allowing you to understand the cost of mm-hmm. what you do, how can sports science help you understand the impact that you're having on efficiency? Right. I mean, for me, it's a great story that I look at. I, w- I won't say the player, but I'll tell you the situation. Situation was COVID hits um, and then boom, we're in the bubble. Go into the bubble and we have second spectrum and we have all this speed data that's collected via video cameras and all this. And it's, it's, it's really cool. Like We get reports and they're sent to us from the league and it's like, oh, wow. And then we're in the bubble and one of our higher player or higher minute players uh, is creating an absurd amount of high intensity sprinting an absurd like more than he's ever done and then we get a call it's like oh this is a red flag like he yeah you guys gotta manage him and then when you talk to him he's like no this is the best i've ever felt and it's like huh wait what happened oh no (laughs) he was more prepared we were only playing eight games. It's like a football season. Imagine only playing 16 NBA games. Imagine like, man, I think they would be crazy outputs. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Or there was like more timeouts or there's more stoppage in play because they have the availability or they have the resources to have those outputs. So that's where I was looking at that. I was like, man, what sports science just told me right there is they told me that I had to change a tactical thing and I needed to go tell that to a coach saying that he's in danger because he's creating more high intensity. And it's like, no, he was prepared. We had two months to basically train off season to get high end sprinting for the first time in this particular individual's career. So when they were doing that, they had the capacity to do it. And that's where I'm like, that's where I go back to, yeah, sports science, nowhere, you know, but sports science can be everywhere as far as I would love to see more on the end of, for instance, our tendon health and tendon protocols, right? I can look at reactive strength indexes through, you know, triaxial force plates. Like there's some things that I really want to tamper with because when I think about, and once again, this is all theory. So this is something that hopefully it grasps to the, to the listeners, but everything that we do from a testing standpoint is in the, is vertical displacement via force plates. And, but yet that's what we train everything off of, but injuries happen in vertical or horizontal vectors. Like, I'm sorry, but it's change of direction is when people blow their stuff out. Like, when people land in a vertical vector and roll an ankle, okay, sure. But when these are blown out and all that, it's because it's horizontal vectors that are happening. And it's a combination of a vertical vector into a horizontal vector or a horizontal vector into a vertical vector. But yet, we're taking all this information from, like, very sagely-based things and just assuming this is how we should train athletes and manage or monitor them. that's where I disagree because there's so much skill into that. And so are you truly getting the outputs to make the inferences that you think you're making via testing? I I don't know. You know, I question that. Like there's times where it was thought that doing game day jumping is a good idea. Now I look back and now after seeing it, I'm like, was that the best thing to do? Because imagine being told, you know, 20 minutes before a game that your your jump's not good today. (laughs) Yeah, not what you want to know. You know what I'm saying? And then (laughs) how do you hide that information regardless? 
And then do you think there's a lot of intent behind that jump? If you're not sharing that information, they're just going in, jumping in and leaving. It's like, then it just becomes, I don't know. Like I, I question a lot of things and that's where I'm, I think until we get to the point where it's truly coming from the court, I don't know much how much uh, effect we can have because the controlled settings are, are not as controlled as you think. So force plays. Yeah. Where did they, what, what place did they have at the Suns given what you just said? Uh, well, once again, this is going to be more theory um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's very anecdotal at this point. Like it's nothing that's hard and concrete. What I'll say is our goal is to have force plates involved in training only so this is going to be in contrast to whatever the lifts that we are accomplishing that day and the goal is to use these triaxial force plates to complement the lift that we're doing thus it will complement the practice that we are doing that day so here's just a really rough example say uh, we're doing a squat obviously i'm focusing on vertical vectors so then i can go oh i'm going to do a counter movement jump Cool. But what if I want to work and monitor horizontal vectors? Well, maybe I'm going to do a more specific lift that is actually going to get me at those angles where I'm actually creating that force. For example, a landmine split squat when you're leaning into it at a 45 degree angle. Once again, like this is all just theory and anecdotal. No one's really dialed into this, at least I don't think so. But these are things that I'm like, I'd want to see those effects and then see an ice skater jump in and out of a force plate. And that's the goal for us, I think, moving forward. And once again, it's all anecdotal. We're, we're not there yet, not even close. I can't go out there and say this is the way of doing it. This is all just theory at this point. But I believe if we can complement the stressors and be able to directly affect the whatever the testing we're doing actually reflects the training we're doing, and the angles that we're doing it at, then I think we can have some cool stuff. But until then, I think we're pretty far off. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So that clip came from number 358 of the Pacey Performance Podcast with Corey Schlesinger. So big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today and look forward to chatting to you next week.